This is the weekly Parsha Shior with Rabbi Chaim Bravender of Atid and WebYeshiva.org. Recorded live in Jerusalem at Beit Knesset Haramban. Visit www.webyeshiva.org for live interactive online shiurim today. Good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Rabbi Bravender's Parsha Shior. My name is Rabbi Jeff Sachs. I'm responsible for some of the organization that goes into this and Rabbi Bravender's other projects, uh, such as Atid and the WebYeshiva.org, which the other seven, the other six days a week when you're not coming to the Parsha here, you can learn with us online at WebYeshiva.org. Uh, we're very grateful to our hosts and our partners here at the Beit Knesset Ramban, to Rav Benny Lau and the staff of people here that have made this such a vibrant shul here in Yerushalayim. We're very happy to be hosted here uh, on Wednesday evenings for the, uh, for the weekly Parsha Shiyot Rabbi Bravender, which has been an ongoing feature in Jerusalem, and we're just happy now that it's, uh, it's found a new home here at, uh, here at Ramban. The show will take place here every Wednesday at 8 o'clock, although generally speaking, we'll be meeting in the hall over here to the left, the Beit Midrash, uh, tonight it happens that they have another event, but generally speaking, we'll be in, in that room, and in the event of some conflict, we'll meet, we'll meet here at 9 o'clock afterwards, we'll daven marriage, there's an Ezra Nashim over here, over there, and inside they also have, they also have Mechitzo, um, and just again, there are these sheets going around, and we're happy to see people that are, that made the trek uh, from the pre- our previous location to, to keep attending here, and we're very happy to see a lot of new faces, if you give us your email, we'll be able to let you know in the event that the shear is not taking place, and we also send out the, the source sheets uh, in advance, if somebody likes to look at those in advance, or you like to keep a copy, or to share, or to share with friends. We also have these uh, flyers which are hanging around town. If you do us a favor, if everybody could take a flyer and leave it wherever it is you happen to daven on Shabbat, or, or someplace where people can see it, and help us spread the word about the shear. What Thursday morning? Rabbi Great. Uh, hi. I would have said those things also, but he didn't trust me. So he came to save himself. Ah, Yoki. What I'd like to talk about tonight is the story of Yaakov Avinu leaving Lavan. Like, it's a long story in the Torah. It's, uh, it's Perik Lamed Aleph until the end of the parasha. A long story. A lot of information about the parting of Yaakov and Lavan. And it's not obvious to us at first why all this information is necessary and it's not even obvious really why this is happening. So let's look at the Tzukim. You see, those of you who have been in the Shia before, you know I like to put the Rashi in, but tonight there's no Rashi. But there'll be other surprises. Look at what it says in the Torah. So there was already a difference of opinion about Yaakov's status. You remember there was this story about the sheep and the, the sticks, and if they looked at the sheep, they came out one way, the, the sticks, the, the sheep, were born, they looked one way and the other sheep looked a different way and there have been even attempts in modernity to explain how that might have actually happened scientifically. That doesn't interest me. I'm prepared to accept the fact that it happened, even if I don't know how it happened. But there was this difference of opinion between Lazan, his children, and Yaakov, Yaakov thought that something was, that he should get it. That something, that he made a deal with, uh, with uh, Lavan and he should get it. But Lavan disagreed. 
Vayaya Kofa Subet Etvinei Lavan Vidayin Eni Melki Tamol Shulshov Something changed in the relationship between Lavan and Yaakov, which is not to say that they had a very good relationship before. I mean, there wasn't, uh, you know, did, things didn't go exactly the way Yaakov wanted them to go, as you know. Pasuk Gimel, Vayoma Hashem al Yaakov, Shuv el Eretz avodetecho ulemoladetecha veyeimach. So this is like a kind of a mystery pasuk. God says to Yaakov, go home. Well, you remember Eliezer, who went to find a wife for his, uh, for, y- for Yitzchak? He went home right away. He left the house of Betuel. Betuel is Lavan's father. He left right away, and he took his, he took the Rivka with him, and they went home. But Yaakov seems to be hanging on to the, in the house of Lavan. For some unknown reason. And nothing happens until God tells Yaakov finally, go home. Now we remember that when Yaakov left Eretz Yisrael, when Yaakov left Eretz Yisrael directed to do so by his parents, I guess mostly his mother, she was sort of in charge of what was going on. But the father, his father, Yitzhak, agreed. He left because there was this kind of ever-present danger called Asaph. And he went, but I, I, I would have imagined that the idea was to go back. So maybe it was that he was waiting for God to tell him, it's all clear. But of course, that can't be, because it wasn't all clear. When Yaakov got back to Eretz Israel, there was a sub waiting for him. And so there was another issue that had to be taken care of. But then he went, God says to Yaakov, go back. Now here's like a story within the story. Rachel and Leah, they're the wives. So he calls them, Hatzadel no. I guess private. It was like going into a phone booth. Oh, they don't have phone booths anymore. But in my time, you could go into a phone booth. But today, uh, you just call on the mobile phone. But Yaakov met with Rachel and Leah in out in the field with the sheep. Very quiet there. I like it also strong. Well, okay. Avi haya imadi. says, look, I see that this is really getting, things are getting very serious. In the past, your father did bad things to me, but now he really doesn't like me. And I want you to know that God sent me a message. God sent me a message. Now, who's talking here? Is this the man of the house? Is this the boss? Is this a person who knows what he's doing and where he's going? What is he talking to his wives? Does he know when they married Yaakov that they would end up going with him? Isn't that, I mean, excuse me, isn't that what the wives do? I mean, certainly in the time of the of the Bible, did. don't they go with the what? Did. They did. Yeah, okay, did. I, of course, everything is different today, but that was how it was. That was how it was. Pasuk Zayin, v'fichem atel bi vechlifet maskutiyas seret monim v'lo netano elokim lahara imadi. He's, going, he's making a cheshbon with them. He's explaining to them why it's important for them to leave. Instead of telling them, we're leaving. This is the part I don't understand. That's why I'm not translating it. Right? I don't know how this happened. It happened. He's explaining to them how he became a millionaire under the auspices of this man who hated him. So he, so he says, you know, there was, like I did this and I did that. And all of a sudden, all these sheep belong to me. My own son, I Right? 
ואנוכי הקל בית אלה שבשקו שבצבא שנדרת משם נדר אתה קום צי מן הארץ הזאת ואשוב אל ארץ ושוב אל ארץ מולדת But, you know, the two of them are sitting there and they're saying, you are our husband, we're with you. We're not with our father. But what was the question? What, what, what was the issue that is being addressed? That I don't understand so easily. Pasuk Tejvav, Halodachuyot nechshavnu lo ki mecharanu vayochal gavachol etaspeinu He treats us like foreign women. You took our money. What money? What money did they have? It's strange. The conversation is strange to me. I don't quite understand it. So they all agree that the economic welfare of the family of Yaakov, meaning the future is children. How is children going to buy apartments in Eretz Yisrael? They've got to get out with the money. I mean, they've got this money some place. They've got to get it. They've got to get out. So the women, women in the, in the, in the book of Bereshit, women are all pragmatic. All pragmatic. The men are dreamers and poets. And the women are construction engineers. Right? All the women. They got it right away. They said, this is a matter of money. Let's get our money and run. Okay? Vayakom Yaakov, Pasuk Yitzai, Vishad Banavet, Vashab Ala Gmalim. Yeah, Gmalim, that's how it works. Vayinhag et kol mikdeh v'koruch l'shor sh'rechash v'yikdeh k'inyanot sh'rechash v'padam aram l'abol Yitzhak Aviv Suddenly, he's going back home. He's not just going to Eretz Canaan. He's going to Yitzchak Aviv, Eretz Canaan. Now, Rachel and Leah didn't know anything about Yitzchak. I mean, they may have heard about him, but they didn't know. They had a personal relationship, but they wanted their money so that they could get uh, uh, the support for their children that they thought that they needed. V'lavan halach l'gzodzet no. This is, you know, like, like Shakespeare does this sometimes. You know, like, like, you don't know why she's doing it, and you know what she's doing, and you know what the trafim are. Ah, but it's going to reappear later on as an essential part of the story. But let's assume, as Chazal assumed, that as Rashi tells us, that trafim are idols, idolatry. So if they represent the idolatry of the of the uh, of the of the age, so it's a kind of a non sequitur. It's like like a zetz. You get a zetz. Where are they going? Where are they all going? Back to Eretz Canaan. Where in particular in Eretz Canaan are they going to? To Yitzchak. Who is Yitzchak? Yitzchak is the representative of the belief in one God. He's the son of Avram Avinu. He's Vayel Chushnehem. Yachdav. He understood what Avram understood. And, where, and, and as they're going, as they're going, Rachel, who agreed that it was a fine, in a financial interest to leave the house of Lavan, she steals the Trophim. Why did she steal the Trophim? What she want to do with the Trophim? What do you do with Trophim? How could she do this against the will of Yaakov? Didn't she know that Yaakov was not a Trophim person? That didn't she see that Yaakov was governing marriage every day? Did she see that? And did she know that you're not married? There are no trusting. You don't look at anything hanging on the wall. 
Oh, he's saying the wrong thing. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> you know that, that's what the shul is. The shul is today. I think it's good. The shul is a black horse. I grew up in the shul. I, when I was a kid, a little kid, I grew up in the shul with eagles hanging down uh, off the arid cottage. One was, uh, was a globe, and one leg of the eagle was on the globe, and the other leg was poised in the air. So, uh, that's a different... But I, I don't think Yaakov had that when he died with Nara, you know. It's, I, this is nice. I like this kind of shoe, but, you know, eventually shoes, they, they put tombstones all around. Which is, you know, if you like tombstones, it's all right. So, listen to this. Uh, what, what, one second. What person are we up to? Ah, Kaf, huh? So it says, it passes your tet, vatignov Rachel et atrafim ashel avia. The first thing Rachel does that puts her in the family, she steals something. Not talking about the trafim, but she steals. So what does the next pasuk say? The next pasuk, vayignov Yaakov et leiv lavan. Now, everybody understands what that means. It means he fooled him. But in English, when you say he fooled him, you don't have to talk about somebody's heart. What do you mean by ignore that lays Lavan? What exactly was stolen? What was stolen? But you see... What? Uh, okay, but what is lays? Why do you say lays? Like, no, it's lays Lavan. Yeah, well, what does idiomatic mean in simple English? Idiomatic, I'll tell you, I'm here. I'm here for this purpose. Idiomatic means I don't understand. That's what idiomatic means. Because if I understood it, I'd tell you. But I don't understand it, so I say it's, it's emphasis. You know, like that word? That's a word that covers all the bases. It comes as emphasis. I want to know what the heart has to do with what's going on. When, the, when Yaakov stole, but you know that Rachel, she's in the family. She stole something. Yaakov stole uh, Lavan's heart. Before that, Yaakov stole the bracha from Esau. So, like stealing. You know, there's stealing going on. It's a good thing that you don't explain this to little children. Because, who knows what they would do. Again, Pasukaf. Pasukaf, the Yigdog Yaakov at Lev Lavan Arami. Lev Lavan Ha'arami. What is Lavan Ha'arami? What's Lavan Ha'arami? What's the Minhag? The Minhag in Tanakh. Just think now for a second. The whole Tanakh. Go through the whole Tanakh. From the beginning to the end. What do you see? You see that when people are introduced the first time in a story, they get their first name, their whole name mentioned. So-and-so, the son of so-and-so, from such-and-such. That's how it is. But then later on, when you mention him again and again and again, he's mentioned by his first name. Here, all of a sudden, Lavan is Lavan Harami. We've been talking about Lavan for 20 Tzukim, and we call him Lavan. How come he's now he's called Lavan Harami? And what's the connection to Lavan Harami? And I ignore Yaakov at Lev. Now you have to call him Lavan Harami for some reason. We don't know the reason. But at least we can't. Mechanics of American, you know, like it's always good before you get the answers, you have to have the questions. The questions is the trick. The whole trick in learning anything is to ask the right question. If you ask the right question, you're on the way. The answer will will make itself known to you. So, Pasuk Kaf Alev, Lavan finds out by Yakrikach et Achiv imo by Yadofa Haram Dev Shivachimi Bekotob Haragilad. By Avoa Lokim and Lavan Harami Bechalom Halayla Bayom and Lohi Shabelacha Pendidaberm Yaakov Mitov Adra. You have this amazing thing. Not amazing because God talks to a non Jew, an idolater, somebody who is is a, 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 a disreputable character. Not because of that. That happened in the Torah of the Tanakh. But because 
what, what we find so difficult to understand is the capacity that Lavan had not to listen to a direct command from God. Do you imagine that? So, what does Lavan, what does Lavan answer? With that, we're almost finished. He says, Pasuk Kavhei, Vayaseg Lavan et Yaakov, Yaakov takat o'alo bahar, Lavan takat achiv bahar gilad. You know who had the oil? Takat o'alo. Who had an oil? Yaakov. Lavan. He's just a bunch of guys sitting around, like camping out. They're like, it's like they're on a, you know, they're the guys who are chasing. So they don't set up camp. They keep chasing. Yaakov, he had an oil. What's an oil? Hmm? Yaakov, takat, or alo. What's an oil? Oil? What's an oil? What? A shelter. A shelter. Good. In other words, what does an oil do? Like, if you ever learned the halachas of Tumas Batara, you understand that an oil distinguishes between what's inside and what's outside. That's what Yaakov had. Lavan, they didn't do that. They didn't make that kind of distinction. We'll see shortly why that is so important um, to us. Vayomer Lavan, Yaakov, Me'asita, Vatiknovet Levavi, Vatiknovet Levavi, Nachamu. He doesn't say, you fooled me. He says, you stole my heart. And you took my daughters like, like they were captured in a war. Like you see that Lavan, you see from this kid, Lavan, he had a different idea of what was going on. He had a different idea of the relationship because he says, Ubishai <laughs> So that if you read these psukids, you understand that Lavan thought that Yaakov was a slave and that the daughters that married Yaakov were also sort of like shvachot, and that the children that they had, therefore, belonged to Lavan. They were Lavan's children. Lavan looked upon this whole enterprise in a totally different way. And he said that, I know that God told me to let you be, but you know what you did? You stole our God, my God. You stole that. Uh, why was he worried about that? Because Lavan thought that they belonged to him. They all belonged to him. He didn't know. So there's something going on here. There's something going on here with the trafim, with the stealing, with the gonev, the talev, and all these things are going on. I would like to make, try to make a little order out of this. So I want you to turn to the second page. We'll come back to the other psukim, perhaps a little later on. You see the second source of the second page. The second source is uh, uh, several psukim from Shoftim Perek Gimel. Shoftim Perek Gimel. You know that the book of Shoftim is mostly about Shoftim. 
the different shoftim that uh, protected the Jewish people in Eretz Kinaan, the shoftim, after the death of Yoshua Binun, and before um, before the kingship of Shaul HaMelech. There's also one great prophet, right, Shmuel. Shmuel was uh, the great prophet of that period, but this is what what happens. This was a recurrent thing. You know that at the beginning of Shoftim, the beginning of Shoftim, it says that if you look at Eretz Yisrael from Yerushalayim south and then from Yerushalayim north, you understand that Yerushalayim south, that's called Yehuda. That's called Yehuda, even though Yehuda was not the only tribe in the south. But it's called Yehuda. And then from Yerushalayim north, it's called Aseret Hashvatim, or Shomron, or Yisrael, or, you know, any of these names. But the beginning of Shoftim, the book tells us that the book of Shoftim is about the northern part of Eretz Yisrael, what became, after Shlomo Amalek, the northern kingdom. Right, the northern kingdom um, in the north, Yisraelim in the north. Why is the book of Shoftim about the northern kingdom and not about Yehuda? Because when they came to Eretz Yisrael, they were instructed by Moshe Rabbeinu and by Yoshua bin Nun to rid themselves of idolatrous worship in those places which they were going to inherit. Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael was instructed to rid itself of idolatrous idolaters and the idolatrous worship in the land and the territory that they would be ceded by uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and Yoshua Binun. In the south, in Yehuda, they did that. Largely. Largely, I would say, except for the Pelishtim. You know, the Pelishtim, who lived more or less where Aza is today, right? That strip of land. They couldn't get rid of the Pelishtim. But there were no idolaters in the land that was inherited by Yehuda. But the northern kingdom, not kingdom, the northern part of Eretz Yisrael, Ephraim, Manashim, Sokha, Zabula, all of those tribes, they were not able to rid, they didn't do it. For some reason they, did, they didn't do it. So the story of the history of the northern part of Eretz Yisrael is the story of the Jews falling into into the trap of idolatry and, and following uh, different kinds of idolatrous practices that, and then being saved by the shofet that would come that would be given authority by uh, the Rebona Shalom to save them. So this is the story. This is a regular story in Shoftev. God was angry because they fell into idolatrous ways. Kushan Now that's a name for you. Kushan Rishatai. I've never heard of a stranger name. The first word Kushan, I have no idea what it means. The second word Rishatayim looks like the Hebrew word Reishin Ayin, right? Rasha, and the ending Ayin is the dual ending, meaning I two. They're two Rasha. So and Kushan Rishatayim is the king of Aram Naharayim. He's the king of Aram Naharayim. Aram Naharayim is the area between the Tigris and the Euphrates. The Prat and the Chidekel, right? Which are called variously Bavel, Ashur, Bavel, uh, Aram, right? All of those people who spoke those lang- different languages lived in that area. Lived in that area. That's Aram Naharayim. But it's important to remember, though, that Aram Naharaim is pretty far away from Eretz Yisrael. I mean, it's like not a short walk. It's a long walk from one to the other. You can do it, but it's pretty far. It's pretty far away. It's further away than Syria, further away than Jordan, further away than even most of Iraq. It's like only part of Iraq that gets to be Aram Naharaim. So this king, Kushan Rishatayim, 
Kushan Rishatayim was like the, the dominant figure in the northern part of Eretz Yisrael for eight years. And he oppressed the Jews. There's all foreign, uh, uh, foreign personalities did, right? He took taxes, he took slaves, he did whatever you do, whatever kings do in those days. As a result, B'nai Yisrael left the way of idolatry, you know, because they were under such tremendous oppression. They left the idolatry and they screamed out, they screamed out to God. And they said, uh, they screamed out to God and asked for mercy, because they were, they were suffering so much. By Yaakov Hashem Moshia L'vnei Yisrael. And there came a redeemer for the Jewish people. V'yoshi'en. And he redeemed them. He solved the problem. He went out to war. He went to war against those who, who were not, um, who were oppressing the Jews. And then it says, Atniel ben Kinaz. That was his name. Right, the first of the Shoftim. Atniel ben Kinaz. Achi Kalei Vachatominen. He was Kalei's brother, younger than Kalei. But he alav Ruach Hashem. It's also standard, right? He did what he did because he was motivated by divine inspiration. God inspires him to go in a certain direction by Yishpot et Yisrael. And that's usually how it starts. A Shosheth can turn into a military leader because he gains the confidence of the people. He judges equitably. He doesn't take, he doesn't take bribes for the judgments that he gives. And in that way, he creates a, uh, he, he creates an impression which the people feel they would like to follow. They have to follow that kind of person. So, the Shofet was first a Shofet, right? By Yitzay Rabilchama. And then, from the position of Shofet, he got the army together, an army together, and he went to war, right? Vayitain Hashem biyado et kushan rishatayim melech aram vataoz yado al kushan rishatayim. He was able to overwhelm kushan rishatayim. That's the whole story. The whole story as it appears in uh, in uh, Shoftim. There's one more pasuk here which is, an, which is important but the pasuk says So apparently as long as Ateniel ben Kenaz was alive people were careful and they remained devoted to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they were not influenced by idolatry and that's what Tishkota Aretz Arba'im Shana They weren't punished because they were doing the right thing. But of course, after those 40 years, they slide back into their previous kinds of, uh, previous kind of behavior. So we would like to know something more about Kushan Rishatani. About Kushan Rishatani. So the Gemara says, uh, the, the, right above that, the Gemara says, the first words are not of interest to me. The Abed, Yotot, Bila, Medor, that's how you get the Gemara is talking about some other topic. It gets to these names. The first name is Bil'am. So the Gemara, in its way, wants to know what the name Bil'am means. What's the, like, dermology or something like that. It's more like the way Hirsch tries to figure out things of this kind. But this is the, the Gemara. Hirsch learned it from the Gemara. And... Uh, it's not so much the method which is interesting, but it's the result. Because the result is the way that Chazal thought about it. Because they thought this result is possible. The method is, is not so important, uh, but the result is important. So listen to what Chazal say. Bilam, Bilo'am. He was called Bilam because he didn't have a home. He didn't come from any place. He was an itinerant... Uh, uh, salesman for evil and bad things. That's Bil'am. Davar another possibility. Bil'am Shebala'am. He tried to swallow up, swallow up a nation. That's Am Yisrael, right? Bil'am came 
and he tried to swallow swallow up the whole nation. Ben Baor Shabal Beir. Beir is a, 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 a the, another name for animal. If you learn Baba Kama, you know that the sheep are called Beiro. So we're talking about somebody. Iron. What? Iron. Which? The sheep are with an iron. With an iron. What's with an Aleph? Baor? No, but we're talking about Bilam ben Baor. That's with an iron. Bilam ben Baor is with an iron. So, um, so, so he had relations with animals. Right? That's that's Baor. Now, Kushan Rishatayim. Kushan Rishatayim. You're missing the part. The Gemara. The Gemara says that Bilam was. Um, was Kushan Rishatayim. Bilam was Kushan Rishatayim. But that doesn't interest me so much. Because what the Gemara then explains is why the king of Aram was called Kushan Rishatayim. Ready? Davad <laughs> He made, he did two evil things to Yisrael. Achad v'meyakov Rachat v'imei shifot ha-shoftim. Achat v'imei Yaakov, Rachat v'imei shifot ha-shoftim. So again, Kushan Rishatayim. Whatever his name was, he's called Rishatayim because he did it twice. What did he do twice? He came and attacked the Jews. The first time that he came to attack the Jews was when Lavan came to attack Yaakov, about which we say every Pesach, and if uh, if you read that part of uh, of the Chumash at the end, you know it's the summer summer months. So uh, uh, we say Arami Oveiravi. What does Arami Oveiravi mean? The Aramean. Let's say we'll say this pshat. The Aramean wanted to destroy our father. Who's our father? Our father is Yaakov. Who's the Aramean? The Aramean is Lavan. Now, what do you mean he wanted to destroy our father? He wanted to destroy our father. What's the big deal here? And what has this got to do with Kushan Rishatayim? What's it got to do with this? Let's go back to the first, what we, what we learned. And we, we know the story of the Trafim. He looked for the Trafim. He wasn't able to find them. But at the end of the story, at the end of the story, <laughs> At the end of the story, Vayan Lavan Pasuk Mem Gimel, Vayan Lavan Vayomer El Yaakov Abanot Benotai Abanim Banai, Batzon Soni. He doesn't change his mind. He says, "You work for me. You are my slaves. You are should be, the women are like Shvachot. They're like handmaidens, servants. Abanim Banai Abanot Benotai and Batzon Soni. That's what he says." That's what he says, that Lavan uh, uh, says, He says, I'm not going to harm them, because they belong to me. That's why, I, that's why I'm not going to harm, harm them. V'ata lecha nechreta brit, aniv ata, and so Lavan says, let's make a covenant. You know, from time to time in the book of Breshit, the artist covenants are established, right? Avraham Avinu, Avimelech, Yitzchak, covenants. There are all kinds of agreements. What is the, and all the agreements have to do with peace. What is the particular agreement that's being made here? Listen to this. Vaikach Yaakov Lachad Nechreta Brit Ani Ve'ata Ve'yala Eid Be'ni Uve'necha Eid Brit Eid Something else What's an Eid? An Eid is something that's there all the time For example A pile of rocks If you do something That is very physically obvious And very difficult to take apart Like you slept Big heavy rocks and you put them up in a kind of a, you know, that obelisk in Central, Central Park or the, London. You know, you, you, you can make a big thing that, that 
just stays there. I mean, it's not going to ever move. That's called an aid. That's a witness. Because when people see it, they say, oh, I remember Yaakov and Lavan, they've had this agreement. Now, what is their agreement? By Kach Yaakov Evan, by So Yaakov took a big stone and he put it up as a, as a, you know, some kind of a, uh, a fixed, uh, a fixed stone. He fixed it in place. And Lavan called it in Aramaic, Yigar Sahaduta, Yaakov Karalo Gal Eid. Gal means a pile of stones. Eid is what we try to explain. A pile of stones that is a witness. That's Lavan. I approve the condition. I want the family to remain whole and don't get married to anybody else. Listen again to this pasuk. Al hagal this pile of rocks, the and this special structure that we have built, which is a, a, a witness. In Anilo Evor Elecha et Hagalhazet. Vimatalo Tavor Elai et Hagalhazet. This Gal is going to represent the permanent division between Lavan and. between Lavan and Yaakov. Lavan will never go beyond this point. And Yaakov will never come back beyond this point. Uh, who takes the initiative? Who's taking the initiative about what this Galaid is about? It's Lavan. Lavan says, I won't go past this point, and you don't go past this point. And Yaakov Avinu agrees. He agrees. And then, the end of the story. Vayizbach Yaakov Zevach Bahar. Yaakov Avinu, the first of the Avot, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, to actually give a sacrifice. When did he give the sacrifice? This great moment of thanksgiving? This fulfillment? Well, Akedat Yitzchak, there was a sacrifice given instead of Yitzchak, right? But uh, like, a, like a self-motivated sacrifice. Abraham built Mizbechot, but he never gave a sacrifice. What was the sacrifice? What was the sacrifice that was given by Yaakov? The sacrifice of Thanksgiving. There was some great idea that had come into the world, just like with Akedah Yitzchak, there was a great idea that came into the world. There also was a great idea that came into the world. Now, what did Chazal say about Kushan Rishatayim? What did Chazal say? That there were two times that the Aramean was guilty. One was when Lavan came to destroy Yaakov, Aramei and the second was when the king of Aram came to destroy the Jews living in Eretz Yisrael after Yoshua Benun died and before they were saved by Atneo ben Kenaz. According to Chazal, according to Chazal, why did Lavan take the initiative? I mean, Chazal don't say this, but it seems to me that Lavan took the initiative because he, Lavan, knew that what was happening was the separation 
of Yaakov and Lavan. What did Lavan say? Lavan, what was his idea? That there should not be a separation, that they were very intimately related to each other in the manner of slavery. Right, Lavan, he owned Yaakov, he owned the women who were shvachot, who were maidservants, and he owned the children that Yaakov Ovinu had with Rochel and Leah and Zilba and Bilhah. Right, he owned all of them. But he knew, he knew Lavan. Lavan knew that he, uh, that he was supposed to give this up. That he was supposed to, but he chased after Yaakov in any event, Aramio Bedavi, until finally HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him that this was the limit. He could go no further. Not only would he not be able to destroy Yaakov, but he wouldn't even be able to follow Yaakov to Eretz Yisrael. He wouldn't be able to go in that direction. He wouldn't be able to look after his supposed property. So that the break between Lavan and Yaakov took place in this story. And now, what was that break about? That Yaakov, Yaakov spent all those years in an adverse culture. He spent all those years living with Lavan, his father Betuel, his children, his brothers, they all understood that they were living in a culture that was foreign to Yaakov Avino. And therefore, just as a Canaanite slave, a Canaanite slave who becomes a slave of a Jewish owner, goes through Giyur, the Canaanite slave is is converted. Not a hundred percent. Ninety percent. The Canaanites say because a ninety percent Jew. Now, there's no other possibility. There's no other possibility. I mean, if you have a person living in the context of Avrab, Yitzchak, Yaakov, certainly they're going to be Jews. They're going to be like Jews. So there's a formal aspect to that. And the formal aspect of that is called conversion. And the conversion takes place when the slave becomes part of the household of the Jew. So that all the people, all the people who worked for Abraham and came with Abraham to Eretz Yisrael, right? They were all, they were all Jews. They all became Jews. They, they, they were influenced. It's like, you know, there's stories even in Europe uh, 200 years ago. 250 years ago. 200 years ago. You know, many Jews had non-Jewish people who worked for them. Men and women. And it was not so uncommon for those men and women to become, to become part of the family. And becoming part of the family, they became prime candidates for conversion. And they did convert. They converted. So we have a story. That since you know the Ramban says that what was Yaakov doing? Like, why come Yaakov didn't leave right away? Why didn't Yaakov leave the house of Lavan after he married at 14 years it would take him to get two wives and he could have gone? But he didn't go. Because Yaakov Avina was preparing the diaspora. Went to the Ramban. Yaakov Avina was preparing the diaspora. What does that mean? That Yaakov Avina knew that the Jews would be sent into that sort of punishment, they would be sent into the diaspora. And having been sent into the, the diaspora, having been sent into that diaspora, Yaakov wanted to prepare. It's like, a, they used to say in computers, they say like a path. They made a path. So Yaakov made the path out. Yaakov was totally immersed in the, I mean, he didn't want to be, but he was totally immersed into the culture of the people with whom he lived. And so much so that Rachel, you know, the Mama Ruchel, she stole the Trafim. She made the house of Yaakov into a house of, into a house of, well, of idolatry. She did that. Until Yaakov put his foot down in the next week's parasha and he said, got to get rid of everything. But they came from that world. It wasn't like Ritka. Eliezer put Ritka on a camel and he marched off. 
And he said to him, you better forget anything you ever learned in your life. This is a new world you're going to. But Yaakov, he lived with his wives, four of them, his children, in a non-Jewish context. And the reason for that was, according to the Ramban, to just prepare the way for Am Yisrael to be able to dislodge itself from that world in which, in which they were living. And so when Ezra called, when Ezra and Zerubbabel said to the Jewish people, come, let's go back to Eretz Israel, they did. They were, they, they were not without fault. It's comparable. I don't like to be political. You know that. I think. I mean, but it's comparable to the fact that when the Jews came to Eretz Israel at the end of the 19th century, and then the 20th century, they didn't all have beards and, uh, and black yarmulkes. They didn't. But they had that drive. When they came back with Zerubbabel and Ezra, they also didn't have beards and, and black yarmulkes. What did they have? They had uh, non-Jewish spouses. They had non-Jewish spouses. That's what they had. And the book of Ezra says, the book of Nehemiah. That's what the Gemara says. We're learning the Gemara in, on Web Yeshiva. Today, this morning, we learn the Gemara. About, about the problem of Yichus and Kohanim, that they weren't able to establish clearly who a real Kohen was. In those days, in the days of Ezra, and in the days of Shmuel, in Babel. So this was, this was a real problem. So along comes, according to the Ramban, along comes Yaakov, and Yaakov says, Yaakov says, uh, I'm going to get out of here. Lavan says, you can't get out of here. You're a slave. It all belongs to me. God said, don't bother him. And Lavan said, I don't want to bother him, but I'm going to tell him what I think. That's what I think. And at the end, he didn't understand. He didn't understand, so the rejuvenation of Yaakov on the way back to Eretz Yisrael was that he was able to put up an ohel in, face, in the face of Lavan, his father-in-law. He was inside. He finally had achieved a circumscribed space. And Lavan was not in that space. And so Chazal said, Rishatayim, what are the two terrible things that the, that the Arameans did? What are the two different that I remember? What did they do? They crossed the line. The king of Aram in the time of after Yoshua bin Nun, he certainly crossed the line, right? Because wherever the line was, it was someplace in between Aram and Eretz Yisrael. So he came to conquer Eretz Yisrael and he crossed that line. But so did Lavran. Because Lavran should have understood that there was a line. And that there was that Yaakov and Lavan were going to separate one from the other. And as they separated one from the other, there would be no place for Lavan to proceed. So when we say that Arami Oveda V, we say Arami Oveda V means not just that he wanted to kill Lavan, and he wanted to kill Yaakov, but that he wanted to return Yaakov to the untenable situation. And then poetically you see, you see that, that the king of the Arameans, Kushan Rishatayim, was able to conquer the Jews in the north of Eretz Israel, where idolatry had not been completely stamped out. In other words, he found somehow a kindred spirit, but nothing about Yehuda. The king of Aram couldn't go near Yehuda because the idolatry had been stamped out in Yehuda. Now, before I leave, I'd like to just tell you one thing, but I won't be able to do it all. There's a book I like called The Second Page Turns the Bottom. Likute Halachot. This is a book that was written by Rav Natan. Natan Rav Natan was the outstanding student of Rav Nachman of Bratzka. He starts out by quoting the Arizal. You know about the Arizal? He gets into a lot of things, the Arizal. It's like uh, people, 
Listen to what the Arizal said. He said, Gal Aid, Gal Aid, remember? That's what Yaakov Vida said. Gal Aid. Gal Aid, he said, Debashid is Lagba Omer. How's that? That's a good one, no? Gal, Gimit Lamid, is, is just like Lamid Gimel. Like Lamid Gimel said. So Yaakov Vida said, Gal Aid, of course, you're talking about Lagba Omer. Don't ask me any questions about history or chronology or anything like that. I'm not interested. What he means is, I'll tell you what he means, what the, what they, what, what the commentaries say. What's why, when does Lagba Omer fall? It falls between Pesach and Shavuot. What is Shavuot? Shavuot is the holiday of Mount Terror, right? So what's Lagba Omer? Lagba Omer is the day, this is what the Arizal said, that you better start being serious about, about Shavuot. And what does that mean? What does it mean being serious? He says, That's a book that, uh, that quotes the Arizal. So you see the Arizal, as reported to us by Rav Nata, the Arizal said, listen, isn't it, you know, it's not true that Yaakov built a wall. And that wall or that sign or that post separated him from, from, uh, from the Arameans, you know, from Lavan. What it means is that if you want to be like Yaakov Arizal, if you want to connect it all, like this other Arizal connected it all, you want to be ready to get the Torah. You better be able to make a mechitza. A mechitza, a separation. You have to be able to separate the things that you want to think about from the things that you don't want to think about. You have to be able to separate, to make, wherever you are. I mean, you may not be in Eretz Israel, you may not be there, but you know, you're, you're running around the world. But you have to be able, in order to be mechabel as a Torah, in order to be able to receive the Torah, you have to be able to do what Yaakov Avinu did. And said, the world of those Arameans, the idolatry of the Arameans, the, the crazy ideas of, that Adkan, Adkan, it was a real division, maybe it was a real division for Lavon because he didn't know anything else. And it was a real division, especially for Yaakov Avinu, was on his way back to Eretz Yisrael. It was no, he said to Zahada, go back to Eretz Yisrael, thinking about what I'm thinking about. It isn't matter if he served the, the idols or not. I mean, it matters. But certainly he didn't. But he was in that world. He's in that world. I remember when I was a kid, you used to see, even today, you can't see there, it's just so much better. But if you know, it, it, there was like a big church. You know, everybody passed a big church. Right? Wherever you live. If you lived on an Indian reservation, there was a big church there, right there. It passed by. So, like it was a world. Like you grew up in a world. I we had to shul. And we went to school, and we learned Torah. But there was this big church. Wherever you turned, there was a big church. So, so you couldn't escape it. So the Hasidim, you know, Hasidim, they decided they would spit when they walked by the big church. But then, you know, it wasn't always, it wasn't always so easy to do that. So you had to look to the right, and look to the left, to see if there weren't any bigger guys than you who were going to watch to see if you're spitting or not. But what I mean to say is, I mean to say that when you're in a situation where you can't get it out of your mind, so it's always there, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to get out of your mind, you can't get it out of your mind. If you can't get it out of your mind, then you can't achieve a superior position. So the Arizal said, as reported by the Likute Halachot, Rav Nosson, the Talmud, Mufaka, Rav Nachod, Rav he said, he said, Yaakov Avinu teaches us, teaches us, and that's why it's, it's Kushan Rishatayim, both of them. Right, they, they, the second one, the second one, the Kushan Rishatayim, the king of Aram, took advantage of the fact that there was idolatry in that part of Eretz Israel. And the first of them, first of them said, look, Yaakov's been living with us for so long that obviously he's, he's like us. 
It's like us. Okay, maybe Dabba's married uh, by himself someplace, but but all the all the holidays, our holidays, all the all the festivals, our festivals. And Yaakov Vida said, "No, I'm leaving, but leaving is not good enough. I have to also make sure that there's a mechitza, that there's something that separates the new me or the place I'm going to from the place I came from." And that was what the Rabban says Yaakov Vidu did for us. He did it for us. He enabled us to go to Eretz Yisrael and leave a lot of Narishkeit behind. Narishkeit is a word that includes everything that you shouldn't think about. So, uh, uh, as, uh, as the Rizal said, the Rizal said it's thinking. You can, you can think yourself into purity. You can think yourself. You can say, I'm not going to think about that now. I'm going to think about something else. A good way to do it, I suppose, is to, is to either learn some Chumash or read Tehillim and have a good Shabbos.